are starting a brand new series, which looks like uh, it's going to be a two-part series because it is a very small book. And I've entitled this series, Freedom in Forgiveness. Freedom in Forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 as we continue teaching through the whole Bible. Uh, there is a difference between doing topical studies and doing studies that we would call exegetical studies, meaning verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. There's nothing wrong with topical messages. Uh, I do them from time to time. Uh, but it's important to understand the difference between trying to find a topic that you want to talk about and then trying to find supporting verses for it versus <laughs> versus studying each verse and then finding every topic that is known to man from those verses. And you cover the things you don't like, you cover the things that are pleasant, you cover the things that are uncomfortable, you cover everything. Uh, the tendency can be that if you're just going to pick and choose subjects that you want to talk about things that you want to talk about. And uh, that can be a slippery slope. Uh, because often in culture today, there are things that the Bible will address, and even in our own sinful natures, that the Bible will address that we don't necessarily like to hear, but we need to hear it. And so it keeps us honest, I think, as pastors, to teach through the whole counsel of God, and that's what we're going to continue doing today. So this book of Philemon, very, very powerful book, or as you know, one of my friends from the Philippines, she, God bless her, this, this uh, woman that I've known for a long time from my Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa days, uh, she would call the letter of Paul to Philemon. She would say, oh, you mean Philemon? And I'm like, no, it's actually Philemon. And she says, that's what I said, Philemon. And so today we're studying Paul's letter to Philemon or to Philemon, um, but we're going to look at something that's very, very important uh, to us as the church because it has to do with forgiveness. It also has to do with being in very awkward situations. Now, just by show of hands, have any of you in your lifetime ever found yourself in an awkward situation? Wow, a lot of you. Uh, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, oh, what it must be like to be you. Uh, you handle yourself very well. But being in an awkward situation is extremely awkward because you typically just don't know what to do. You know, have you been in those situations where you're like, I don't know what to say or how to say it. I don't even know how to carry myself. Am I to, you know, be offended or to, you know, play it cool? Or, you know, should I think of something clever to say? Or, you know, always a, a good rule of thumb is, oh, maybe I just pretend like I don't know them. But then you're like, you do know them. Okay, well, maybe I'll just pretend like I don't see them. <laughs> well, no, you definitely locked eyes. You saw each other. How am I going to handle this situation? But sometimes, no matter, how, no matter how hard you try, it seems that you can't escape the moment that you've been dreading. You have to deal with it sooner or later. But come to find out, dealing with awkward or uncomfortable moments are actually healthy and very maturing. They really are. For some of us, that awkward moment may be because someone did something to us or said something about us and now we're in the same room. And they know that I know what they said. For others, 
It may have been that we were the ones that did something to someone, and the last time we saw them, it was very, very bad. Very bad. I remember reading of this guy who had a bad breakup with his girlfriend, and she kept texting him back, and he replied to her, please don't ever contact me again as long as you live. That was pretty much the nail in the coffin, only to find out one day that she later on down the road married a member of her their extended family, of his extended family, and she showed up at a family event. Very awkward. Or how about this? Someone did something to you that was wrong and they didn't ask for forgiveness. That can be a very uncomfortable place to be. You know what? They never have said they're sorry. To this day, they act like it's not there and you carry that around with you. See, this letter of Paul's to Philemon is about forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's about being set free from the imprisonment of unforgiveness. And whether you realize it or not today, when you refuse to forgive someone, it actually hurts you. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but if not, it's worth mentioning it again. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. It destroys you. It hurts you. And I know personally because for years in my past, I had carried unforgiveness towards someone. It caused me to have a huge chip on my shoulder. It caused me to be an angry person in my younger years. It really ate away at me for a very long time until the Lord set me free from that. This letter that we're looking at of Paul's would appear at face value if you've ever read the handful of verses that are in this letter. It would appear that Paul is writing on behalf of someone else, actually. He's writing on behalf of someone to Philemon. And that person that we know from this letter is a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. Now, in the Roman world, and you've heard me say it before, but if you haven't, it's good to understand this, that there were more servants and more slaves than free people in Rome. You know, often we'll speak of slaves and we reference what America and other countries have been involved with in the past. But throughout history, servitude, slavery, being a servant, for many, it was a way of working yourself out of poverty. Interestingly enough, in some cases, there were servants that were even, even more wealthy than the common free person of the day. In some cases in history, slavery was not a permanent condition. There was even a thing called indentured servitude where you entered into it and you ended it voluntarily. If you owed huge debts, you would have to go into debtor's prison. We know that from Jesus' story about unforgiveness, where you paid what you owed. Enslaved people, in the context of what we're looking at today, even had certain rights, and they had a system of appeals. But regardless, 
We don't know all the details about Onesimus' relationship with the house of Philemon, but we do know that he belonged to the house of Philemon and had run off to Rome, hoping to be lost in the massive crowds. Go to Rome. You'll blend in there. Nobody will be able to find you. You can start a new life. You can be a new person. But instead of blending in with the masses, you're never going to believe what happened. Of all of the people from the world that were there in Rome, Onesimus runs into Paul the Apostle. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Onesimus was from Colossae. Paul is in house arrest in Rome. And here he is in this city where you could experience everything. You know, it would be a lot like Las Vegas, but probably way worse. Anything that you wanted to try out, anything you wanted to experiment with, you could find it there in Rome. But instead, Onesimus found Jesus, singled out. Of all the people that he could bump into, he runs into Paul. When it comes down, and this is important to know, when it comes down to caring about the individual, I would say the chances of Onesimus running into Paul were very good. I mean, isn't it really, isn't it really the case for us often where we think, well, we're just lost in the masses. We'll just blend in with the crowd. Or if I surround myself with a lot of people, you know, I can kind of mask some of the things that I'm wrestling with or working through or struggling with. And yet, God in his love and in his grace and in his knowledge of who we are pierces through the crowds of people, pierces through those things that we try to barricade ourselves with and meets us exactly where we're at. I would even take it one step further than using the cliche, what are the chances? And I would say that it was not chance, that it was ordained by God. And even today, I would say that there are no chances pertaining to God reaching out to you. Because God is concerned with the individual. We lose that a lot in church when there are a lot of individuals. We just look at groups of people. But you're not a number. You're a person. You're created in the image of God, created to know God. And it is ordained by God for you to have that opportunity to have a real relationship with the God who created you for a very special purpose. And just with this backstory to the letter that we're studying of Paul to Philemon, we see that we're going to be studying a great spiritual truth. And the truth is that God knows who you are. And as much as you would like to be lost in the crowd, God will never view you as anything but his son or his daughter created in his image. He sees you individually. He sees the things that you are internalizing even right now, things that you're processing, things that you're working through. He sees the busyness of your life. 
He sees how you mask certain things in order to come across a certain way. God is not stopped by a veneer. God is not hindered by an external appearance. He doesn't look at you and at face value and be like, oh yeah, you got your life together. You look pretty good. He pierces right through that to who you really are. A perfect way of describing this is found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 11 through 13, where Jesus said, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? He asks, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. He leaves the 99 and he goes after that one individual sheep. The one that has gone astray, the one that has gotten lost, the one that has gotten himself in a bad spot. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible actually tells us that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have gone our own separate ways, but it goes on to say that the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. And for some of you here today that do not know Jesus or may be watching this or may see this at a later time or listen to this on a podcast, there are some of you that may have gone astray. There are some of you that may think that God is not concerned with you. Some of you may have grown up in a Christian home. Some of you might have even been in ministry at some point or had a family member that was. Some of you may have known better than to do what you have done. But God wasn't up there smacking his forehead if we were to put an anthropomorphism to God. He's not going, oh, he totally caught me off guard. I didn't even see that coming. He saw all of it in advance. And he still sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you because he loves you that much. And so what we're going to be looking at in this letter is going to be a testimony to the fact that God changes the individual's life. He takes what was meant for evil, and he turns it into something good in the way that only God can do. God is in the business of restoring mankind's relationship with himself and mankind's relationships with themselves. We hurt one another. We say things we ought not to say to one another. We look out for our own interests first. We step on whoever we can to get ahead. And in the process, we destroy the relationships that God meant to be a blessing to us. That's why when we read from the scriptures, it says, let him not only look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. It's the given that we'll look out for our own interests. It's the supernatural that says, I'm going to look out for someone else. And this is the heart of the Lord. So God restores us vertically, and he re- restores 
those interpersonal relationships as well. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, ordinary people like you and me. And let's begin in verses one and two of Philemon chapter one, where Paul opens up and says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. We just got done studying Paul's letters to Timothy. He says to Philemon, our, bro, our beloved friend and fellow laborer to the beloved Apphia, which was Philemon's wife. And many believe that Archippus was, his, was their son, but we don't know that for sure. Archippus is actually mentioned in another part of the scriptures as well. But in verse 2, to the beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that is in your house. So Paul is referenced here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. His imprisonment was literally in Rome, as I already mentioned. He was under house arrest. This is mentioned in Acts 28, verses 30 through 31. If you're taking notes, it says, Then Paul, who dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So he rented his own home. He's there. People would come. They would listen. He would share the gospel with them, and they would leave changed. And so we see here in these opening verses, Paul and Timothy, Philemon, Apphia, and Archippus, they were friends in the ministry. It's important to note as just kind of a side note that of the 13 letters that Paul wrote to churches or individuals, in nine of them, he calls himself an apostle in the opening verse. If you noticed, he did not in this letter. Because in Philippians, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and in his letter to Philemon, Paul presents himself more as a friend than as an apostle. Meaning that there was a relationship there with the people on a personal level that he was writing to. He wasn't just writing to a church where he did not know the people, but just said, this needs to be taught. He was writing to somebody that he knew and even would be appealing to them as a friend. Paul's friends were Philemon and Apphia, and they were a very powerful, I would call them dynamic duo for the Lord. They opened up their home for the church to meet inside of it. They opened up the doors of their church to those that would previously have been classified strangers, but they were a part of the same family of God. This is one of the reasons that I believe that there is such a blessing for those that are actively serving in their church. And there are some churches they may not need it. There are other churches that are like, yeah, we can use the help, but we can never outgive God. And everything that we think that we're doing for the Lord, oh, this is a sacrifice, or this costs me something, will be completely overshadowed by what God does in your life. When I look back at the faithfulness of the Lord with the tremendous caliber of people that serve here faithfully, I have seen as a person on the outside looking in, I'm not living in the everyday lives of every, every person and every family that's a part of this church, but I step back and I can see, wow, they've grown. Wow, who is this guy? Or look at her. Unbelievable. What a great work that God is doing in them and through them. They are maturing. They are growing. They are leading. They are doing what God has called them to do. You never outgive God. 
Oh, I'm going to go and bless those people by going and doing this, that, and the other thing. And then you find that God ends up blessing you far more and that you receive more than you ever gave out. Specifically, I think of the people that have opened up their homes over the years for house groups, as was mentioned, that are starting up again in just a couple weeks. You know, we were always talking about how, as a growing church, can we maintain the relational aspects of church where people in the church actually know each other? Where can you go where you actually know the pastor of the church? Where can you go where you actually sit in a living room, maybe even on the same couch as the pastor of your church or pastors of your church or leaders in your church? We wanted that to be our church. And so people caught the vision for it. They said, you know what, I will open up my home. I would love to have my home. I was even just talking to one of our guys back there. He said, it's not my home, it's the Lord's home. I'd love to have people meeting in my house. And what a blessing it's been. And things have been crazy over the last couple years, and there have been a lot of different things that we needed to you know, jump over as hurdles and roadblocks and things that were meant to shut the church down, to close this place permanently, and the Lord has been faithful. And as we end this year, we're just seeing all the gears starting to move again. Everything that was meant to be happening is now starting to, to take motion. And it's exciting to see it really is, because sometimes you might wonder, all right, Lord, well, what's happening or what's going on? But the Lord is faithful, and he touches people's hearts. And Philemon and his wife opened up their doors for the church to meet in their home. And you know, what a beautiful thing it is when you're welcomed into the family of God, by God, and by his people. Sometimes you can go to church and it's not a pleasant experience. Sometimes you can go to church and you feel very uncomfortable, not because, oh, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and the word of God is living and powerful and, I, oh man, I might need to make some changes in my life, but sometimes people in church are just not cool. They're not nice. They're very condescending and they're not very welcoming. And you can have a bad experience where you walk in and everyone feels uptight and you feel like I don't belong here and you end up leaving and that's not the way the church is meant to be. When you're a part of the family of God, it's like once you're family, you're family. And if you're not family, we want you to be family, so come on in. But to be welcomed into the family of God where Paul writes and says you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens and fellow members of the household of God. So it's great to be welcomed by God, but it's a nice thing too when the people of God welcome you as well. And so in our church, we hope that you have felt welcomed. If you have not, please come and see me and I will welcome you officially. But these that we're reading of today opened up their homes. In Ephesians 4, Verse 32, it says, and be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Wow. All right, Lord. I'm really, really, really down with you forgiving me. With this whole forgiving other people, I don't know if I can do that. Lord, I love the fact when people are kind to me and are tenderhearted towards me. That's just not my personality. I'm more gruff. I'm more tell it how it is. 
I might even be more on the mean side. Lord, you forgave me, help me to forgive others. But this in context, having a church in your own home, making people feel welcomed is actually called being hospitable. Hospitable. Because you truly believe that you have, that everything that you have has been given to you by God and you use what you have been given by God for his glory. In Romans 12, verse 13, it says, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Take care of the needs that are in the church and welcome people. Make them feel part of the family. One of the ways that we show kindness is by being kind with people, being cool with people, being welcoming to people. Sometimes we'll look at people and be like, oh, they're here. Ooh, don't talk to them. Oh, they seem odd. Ooh, that person needs prayer, brother. Well, maybe you should pray for them. Some people will say, well, nobody ever come to, came up to me and spoke to me. Nobody ever said hi to me. Well, how many people have you said I do? The Bible actually says a friend must show himself friendly. So maybe you should practice being hospitable to somebody else, and you'll find that there's a great blessing there. I know off the top of my head a number of families that are very hospitable. They make people feel like they're part of a family. You know, Ruth's mom and dad over in the UK, they were known for, you know, Sunday roast dinners. And they would invite everybody and they would have this big roast dinner. You know, it might be part of the British culture. I'm not sure, more than the American culture. But then you start to see it's actually practice everywhere. In some way, shape, or form, there's something that is unique about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that are in the church that just makes people feel like they belong. And it can be a number of things. We met a couple guys early on in the church that, you know, hey, let's go play basketball. And all of a sudden, we belong. There was some... You know, people that wanted to do underwater basket weaving, and now they belong. I'm just kidding about that, by the way, but you don't get what I'm saying. That you just find that the Lord will bring people into your path where it's so easy for you to say, hey, how are you? How long have you been coming to church? Or, you know, hey, my name's so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Hey, have you met these guys yet? Hey, can I get you a donut? Can I, you know, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me share with you. We got these other things that are happening. Would you like to come along? There's so many different ways that we can be hospitable because in the era of the mega church and really the modern church, there's something very refreshing about people from the same church that know each other. Because the church is where relationships are made and lifelong friendships are established. And those that open up their homes are so essential to ministry taking place. And really through an open home and an open, you know, I would say pair of arms from an open heart for the love of God really prepares the way for the love of God to flow through to those around them. Open home, open arms, open heart, makes people feel welcome. And so Philemon and Aphia, 
We're an amazing couple in the church. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, verse 4, making mention of you always in my prayers. Listen to verse 5. This is key. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. The twofold expression of love and faith is love and faith in the Lord and love and faith in the Lord demonstrated by how we treat those in the church around us. From verse 5, it's important to note that the love and faith towards the Lord is always a requirement before love and faith towards others. Because if I have a broken vertical relationship, my horizontal relationships will be as well. James tackled this subject, I thought, extremely well. I'd even go on to say perfectly. But I like to highlight one of those verses from chapter 2 of James, James, which says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Interesting. Bottom line is this. Works do not replace your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins. But professed faith without a lifestyle and without the accompanying works of the Spirit is dead. So, Our love and faith towards the Lord enables us to have love and faith exercised through the way we treat and minister to others. This is important. Because if we, and this is what my goal is for our church, is that we would be a church of genuine faith. And then that genuine faith would be evident in the way that we minister to those around us, especially those that are in the church. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. So that's just the general rule. But then he goes on to say, especially do good to those who are of the household of faith. It doesn't mean that we only do good to believers, but that we should especially do good to believers. John Wesley That famous pastor said this, and I quote, do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can, end of quote. The historian J.A. Froude said this, and I quote, one lesson and only one. History may be said to repeat with distinctness that the world is built somehow on moral foundations that in the long run, It is well with the good, and in the long run, it is ill with the wicked. End of quote. And that's very true. What an example of a great faith in the Lord, a great love for the Lord and his people, and the gift of hospitality in full effect with Philemon and Apthia. What an example. Their example was so great that we're hearing of them today. A husband and wife that love the Lord, that were given to hospitality. And those of you that have welcomed people into your home and live in such a manner that your faith is on display as you make people feel welcomed, well, blessed are you and well done. In verse 6, we continue on. It says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So Paul's prayer for Philemon and Apphia was for the sharing of their faith to be effective. Effective. 
Let me ask you a question just for you to think about privately, and then this will kind of prime the pump for the last few minutes of our message here. How is evangelism effective? How is sharing the gospel with those around you actually effective? Well, very simply, its effectiveness must first be witnessed by you in your own life. Then it will be witnessed by others. Has your life been changed? Has there been a noticeable difference in your life as a follower of Jesus? Or are you missing that noticeable difference? It's extremely hard to have an effective impact for the gospel when your life is not living proof that Jesus can change lives. It becomes a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do model, which we know should never be followed. It's hard to be a good witness. You ready for this? When you're a bad witness. It's hard to be a good witness when you're a bad witness for the gospel. However, when you see the great things that God has done for you, when you now experience that grace, that forgiveness, that love that's unconditional, that change that takes place in your life will speak to the power of God to do the same in someone else's life. This is the power of a personal testimony where you say, listen, I understand, I get it, I was there, God changed me, and if he changed me, I know that he can change you. And so as the gospel is said that it needs to be silenced, no more sharing the good news, no more teaching the Bible, no more church messages that talk to the power of God to save, you look at living epistles. You and me. Where you can't argue against a life that has forever been changed. It's revolutionary. It's supernatural. That's why when our old friends on Facebook find out what we're doing now, you're a pastor. <laughs> yeah, right. What are you really doing? You don't say, it's true. When your old friends go, oh, you don't do the same things that you used to do. Man, you were the party king. Not anymore, man. I follow the Lord and I live a blessed life. It's the power of Jesus to change. What an amazing thing that is. So, wherever we're at, we can use whatever situation we're in to share the gospel, to welcome people, to be loving to people. I say it all the time, and you've heard me say it, and I don't mean like in the literal sense, but to be cool with people just means to be that place where you're understanding, you're there to, to listen, you're there to encourage, you're there to welcome. It's, a, it's such a powerful thing when somebody runs into a Christian that's just cool with them. And it can be even the littlest things that make an impact. And he says in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. People that are around you are refreshed by you, not drained by you. Man. 
I was at that house group at Philemon's house. Man, I'm just refreshed that there are still people like that in the world today. The Christians must have thought in the church that met at their home. The people that are hosting house groups this year have that same gift of hospitality, have opened up their homes. And as you study the word of God, as you discuss the truths therein, you will find that you will be spiritually refreshed. But you know what's interesting? It says here in verse seven that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. In the King James Version, it reads like this. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. The bowels of the saints have been refreshed by you. (laughs) You won't find that version on a Hallmark card. The bowels of the saints What it means is that the deepest part of who you are, of who someone is, that they've been ministered to there, that they've been refreshed. And you know, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, we don't tell the girl that we love or we're professing our love to, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. It's probably not gonna go over too well. Like I love Pepto, I love you from my bowels. No, but it means like when you carry emotions, you know when you've ever been sick to your stomach about something or you felt emotions deeply, you feel it here. And it's true. From the deepest part, the people that were in the church were refreshed. They were ministered to. And you can have that same kind of impact with people who are without the Holy Spirit are without guidance, without truth. You might just run into them all the time and you have the opportunity to actually refresh them. Especially those that are in the church because people come to church on Sundays after a long week and they're struggling. And then they find that they're refreshed because they sat by you. Because they spoke with you because you took time out of your busy schedule to ask them how they were doing. And at the beginning today, and this is where we'll conclude and we'll have part two next week, but at the beginning of our service or our study part of our service, I mentioned that Paul was writing this letter on behalf of Onesimus. He was the man that needed to be forgiven. Paul was writing to his friend. He says, I know Onesimus split. I know that he left his duties. I know that you were treating him well. But listen, he needs to be forgiven. He became a Christian. Of all the people that he could have bumped into in the city of Rome, we bumped into each other. But more importantly, Jesus bumped into him. And it changed him. So you have Paul writing on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. Onesimus was the man that needed to be forgiven. And that would be good for Onesimus, but it doesn't end there. This letter was written equally for the good of Philemon, the man who needed to forgive. And that would be good for Philemon. So both the man that needed to be forgiven and the man that needed to forgive were now equally in a position to do so and to be so. And the overarching picture here is one of forgiveness. What happens if you do something to hurt someone but then you become a Christian later on down the road? 
What if you were at odds with each other? You went your separate ways and you found yourself in the same church family, the same family of God. And there's no pretending that you don't know each other or that you didn't see each other. It's super awkward. What are you going to do? What if you've done wrong things? How is that going to work out? So you have Philemon and you have Onesimus. They're now brothers in the Lord, but they're in a precarious situation. So Paul writes, Onesimus needs to be forgiven and Philemon, you need to forgive. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we'll see as we finish this lesson next week that Jesus is the only one that can fix burned bridges. Maybe you've had someone close to you that you've wronged or they've wronged you and there's a rift there. If you don't know Jesus today, the first thing I would say to you is that you need to have your sins forgiven. And then secondly, as you have been forgiven, that you would forgive others their sins against you. It doesn't mean that now all of a sudden you're going to be best friends. But what it does mean is that forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets you free from your sin and it sets you free from their sin. When you're forgiven by Jesus because of your faith, you are now free from your sin. When you forgive someone else the sins against you, you are now free from their sin. It's amazing how many people for decades will be trapped by somebody else's sin against them. It even gets to the point where I've seen people start defining who they are by what somebody did to them instead of finding their identity in Christ. A new creation, having the old things pass away and all things be made new. And so we're gonna see a very, very powerful story, true life, of how Jesus mends broken hearts and mends broken bridges interpersonally and how he works in the lives of those that are in the church, making each more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is living, that it is powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword and that it pierces to the innermost recesses of our heart, to the bowels of who we are. That seat of deep emotion. I pray, Lord, today, first and foremost, for those that do not know you personally as their Lord and Savior, that they might find forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus. And to that end, with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here and you do not know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, it's not about being a good person. It's not about trying to earn your way. It's about finding forgiveness in faith. Jesus is the only one that can forgive you of your sins. And if you don't know him personally and you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is very, very simple. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, just repeat this prayer after me and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned. I've done things that are wrong. But I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. 
and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength that I might be who you've created me to be. For I give you control of my life today in Jesus' name. And Father, I also pray, secondly, for those that have been forgiven of their sins but are holding on to unforgiveness in their own hearts because of someone else's sins. I pray that today they would find the power of your Holy Spirit at work in their hearts to forgive those that have wronged them. We can never repay for our sins, Lord. In our own hearts, may we stop making people pay for theirs. You're gonna deal with them. This isn't an acknowledgement to say, oh, that evil is right and that they should just get off scot-free. No, they will give an account to God for everything that they've done. This is between you and the Lord now. If you have found yourself trapped with unforgiveness, then I'd like to pray for you to be set free from that today. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if that's you and you are wrestling with unforgiveness, be it small or great or something in between, and you would like to be free from it, then would you raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. Would you please pray for me? I'd like to pray for you. Just raise your hand and say, yep, I have something that I need to deal with with unforgiveness, and I would like to be free from it. Can you hold your hand up so I can see it? Everyone's eyes are closed. And as you lift your hand up, lay that burden down at the feet of the Lord. Anybody else? Be free. Today's the day. Don't let it destroy you any longer. Don't let, don't let Satan market it and give it so much airtime in your life that you're thinking about it constantly and dealing with it. You can be free from it today and let the Lord deal with it. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands. Lord, I pray that as their hands go up, their burdens and unforgiveness falls down. Falls down to your feet where it belongs. I pray, Lord, that that unforgiveness that they have had in their hearts would be replaced now, Lord, with the unconditional supernatural love that comes from you and forgiveness for others that comes from you. May they no longer be defined or entrapped by somebody else's wrongdoing. That's not who they are. They are a new creation in Christ. May today they lay that burden down and be free from all the side effects as well of having unforgiveness in their hearts. So Lord, minister to them, soften their hearts, fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you continue to have your perfect work accomplished in your church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you need prayer for anything after our service concludes with our closing song, Pastor Jonathan will be available and the team to pray with you. If you want just a little bit extra prayer over some things that you've been wrestling with in your life pertaining even to unforgiveness, it doesn't have to be just that. We pray for everything here at this church. And so we love to pray for you. And our team will be available after the service has concluded. So today, I ask that and have prayed and just this prayer blessing for you that the Lord would indeed bless you, that he would keep you in the center of his perfect will, that he would make his face to shine upon you, that you would feel his presence, that you would feel his blessings, that you would feel his grace. 
and that he would give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. May it guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be praying this week. Pray without ceasing. Look for who the Lord may bring upon, you know, the path that you're walking, that you can welcome them with open arms. And in so doing, maybe even help welcome them to the family of God. May the Lord bless you. May he give you a great rest of your Sunday in Jesus' name.